Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Welcome to another episode of The Flow Line. Myself and Matt Offenbacher here on a beautiful Monday. Matt, how's it going? How was the weekend? Wasn't too bad. I got a lot of a lot of work around the house done. So very good. Now I can enjoy the week. Nice, nice. Is the work continuing, or did you get everything completed? Uh, you never get everything completed, but I think my wife is happier that the laundry's done <laughs> and some of the other important things. So uh, yeah, I can move into the week in peace. Nice. The honey do list is always a continuous. Uh, it's a it's a dynamic uh, table. I feel like. Speaking of uh, projects at the house, I built. Uh, well, my wife and I built a mud kitchen for our daughter. Yeah? Yeah, pretty cool. Uh, I grew up, you know, around woodworking. My dad, he, we actually owned a, a family-owned furniture business, so we did a lot of custom work, custom wood building. Uh, and so anyway, I put that to the test and built a pretty good little mud kitchen. I got to say, I was quite impressed. So Awesome. I need to see pictures. <laughs> I'll definitely show you. Um, anyway, enough of that. Uh, before we get going, if you'd like to support the show, just take a few minutes and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to. Any feedback would be welcome and appreciated. Uh, we had another great uh, response from uh, a fellow mud engineer out there. She uh, emailed us and just wanted to thank us for an episode that we had released on lubricants and gave us a great idea for the show. So, um, Michelle Rucker, if you're out there listening, we appreciate the support and uh, definitely appreciate the feedback. We'll definitely dive into those uh, those comments and, and ideas that you had. So keep them coming, everyone. We love the feedback, whether it's on LinkedIn or uh, at the, the Flowline podcast at aesfluids.com. So this week's episode, Matt, something that I've been dealing with with a customer recently is, has been uh, the topic of wellbore strengthening. You think we should tackle that today? I think we should. There's a lot of confusion in the world of wellbore strengthening. And uh, I feel like if we can put it on a recorded program, I won't have to repeat myself as much. Yeah. Well, funny enough, you mentioned uh, just recently that you'd ran into someone at the airport and they were asking you about uh, a topic that we had covered. And you know, it was kind of one of those, uh, as a matter of fact, episode, whatever it was. I mean, would you care to elaborate on that? I think that was pretty cool. Yeah, it was just kind of funny because I was I was uh, in the airport kind of waiting for my flight and, you know, God's country, Midland, as they say. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, bumped into a drilling engineer that I know. And, hey, I got some questions for you. Come over here. And we start talking. And I said, well, actually, our next episode is on lubricants. And it's just about to come out on, on Wednesday. So... I thought, you know, you ought to check that out and then we can follow up with the conversation. And he said, oh, that's fantastic. So I just thought it was neat because I think we're building enough episodes now where if somebody has a real specific question, they can jump to that and listen and it can facilitate a conversation later. No, that's exactly. Well, I'm anxious to hear uh, what uh, the drilling engineer thought of the episode and hopefully they learned something. And like you said, you can carry on the conversation, but a lot of the maybe questions were able to be answered throughout the podcast. So uh, what, what a neat story, Matt, I got to say. So let's get back to it. Wellbore strengthening, uh, you know, again, we always start off by, you know, what is XYZ? So why don't we go ahead and describe what wellbore strengthening means, the definition of it? So wellbore strengthening, I mean, there's a couple of specific technical methods which probably better clarify what wellbore strengthening is, and we'll get into those. But um, it's the idea of actually strengthening the formation beyond your kind of typical fracture gradient 
so that you can drill with a higher ECD or, or mud weight. Um, and it's, it's in the loss prevention category. So I'm doing something to prevent losses from happening as opposed to treating them when they occur. Gotcha. So why don't we kind of go through the application of such? And so firstly, I mean, talking about it's a preventative measure, right? So typically you would add something uh, if you know that you're sort of limited to an ECD and you you essentially want to uh, strengthen the wellbore to be able to withstand more density to prevent loss returns or formation breakdown. Is that right? Absolutely. Um, and, And we see this uh, you, you know where this where this originates is it goes as far back as people knowing that hey I was supposed to go on losses at this point I threw some stuff in the mud and lo and behold we didn't lose at nearly what we expected and so what happened and then of course it's been made into a more refined science if you will and uh, offshore sometimes you hear stories of one and a half to two pounds per gallon um, of a increased strength. Uh, just by applying these materials correctly. So it can make a big difference. And, and it started out in deep water where if you think about the really tight windows they have where they needed to ha- spend all this extra money running casing, um, it's made a big difference and kind of became the standard. Uh, and so we, we certainly see um, that, you know, that idea. I think on, on land, we're still sometimes in the state of, well, I threw some stuff in the mud and I didn't have losses, so therefore I'm strengthening the wellbore, and we could we probably go a little more scientific than that. Right, right. Well, then let's get into it. So, explain the sort of the mechanical happenings behind wellbore strengthening. Like, what is what is going on, and what are we actually doing with the material that we're putting into the mud at certain concentrations, and and then leading into you know how do you actually select the proper material going into it? So, uh, think about. I mean, this this kind of happens in a in a very small period of time. But think about I'm I'm inducing a fracture, but I haven't quite propagated it out, right? So I that opening is initiated. Now that's the weakest part of the wellbore right now, right? So it's probably happening on both since we've got a round hole and we're applying stress. It's probably happening on one side and then 180 degrees on the other. And if I can get some material packed in there, that there's two concepts. One would be that I could actually get material crammed in that goes into the fracture, but not all the way out to the tip, and then seals that off, um, that can provide some strengthening or actually put, put material in the mouth of the fracture and then relax on it, and that material is now supporting that weak point. And guess what? That part that was the weakest is now one of the strongest points. So if I want to propagate fractures later, the formation has to fail in another direction. Mm. Um, and so that's where you get your subsequent strengthening. Gotcha. So let's talk about, does that tie into fracture closure stress? It does. Okay. So, uh, you know, we'll talk about the mechanical methods. There are other ways to, uh, you know, it's actually possible to, uh, using really hot drilling fluid, strengthen the wellbore. It's possible um, with uh, certain, uh, for example, if you strengthen a, you can actually strengthen a shale by chemical interaction inhibition, for example. Um, so those are those still fall into this family, but we talk about mechanically the two common themes are fracture closure stress and hoop stress enhancement. And fracture closure stress is the idea that um, I've got this existing fracture, or I've I've opened something up. It's it's initiated, um, and I get some material that goes not all the way in, but um, let's say halfway. If you're if you're visualizing a, a fracture, 
it goes about halfway down and it basically plugs in and isolates that fracture tip because we know the fracture has got to keep continuing from that tip. That's the weakest point. So if I get material that's the right size that blocks that off, it's not going to go any further. Um, and this, this concept is, is uh, something that there's a paper by Fred Dupriest. I probably mentioned him before required reading engineers. You want to learn something about anything in drilling, read his papers, listen to his talks. Uh, but um, the idea is that I, I may not necessarily have to know exactly how big this stuff is. I just need to get the right blend of materials. Um, and this ties into, with m much greater discipline, I put something in the mud and it extended my fracture gradient. Um, hoop stress enhancement, I would say, is, is a bit more of a scientific approach. And to qualify, well, these are both co technical concepts. Nobody really knows what's going on down there. Um, <laughs> right. But, uh, but um, fracture clo closure stress, I think, is, is people are more comfortable with it just because it, it ties in a little bit more of the kind of guess and check um, using a little bit more discipline and, and the right materials. And then hoop stress enhancement uh, is something we can, we can model pretty readily. Um, it gets a bit more sophisticated, at least as far as how much information we need to have an idea of which way we're headed. Um, so yeah, and hoop stress enhancement, a uh, couple of guys worth reading on that would be guys like, uh, um, Mike McLean and Mark Alberti. Uh, they, they put out a kind of the initial quintessential paper. Um, and the idea with this is that I induce the fracture and at the very mouth, um, the material packs in and I relax that pressure. And now I've basically isolated that fracture tip. Um, and so fractures can't propagate in that direction. Uh, one of the keys uh, in this in particular, and, and what we're strengthening in general, at least with what we're talking about, is you need a relatively permeable formation for this to work because the formation needs to relax around that material, right? It needs to be that the, the thing actually providing the support. So if I cram that material in the fracture mouth and I still have pressure behind the fracture tip that can't leak off, it's, you're kind of at an equilibrium. That material can come back out pretty readily. But if, if I can get that material crammed in there, perform a really good, have a really good seal, then I can isolate that fluid. It'll leak off. The formation will relax around that well we're strengthening material. And then we've got something to work with. So is the way the formation relaxes is once you turn the pumps off, then obviously essentially then your ECD is, go or your, well, your ECD is gone, but your equivalent mud weight relaxes to where then the formation packs on to those materials and essentially keeps them propagated? Yeah, so I mean, a it, it, uh, perfect tie-in to uh, some things on the execution side, but uh, so um, you can either rely on your ECD to place this material, and, and like you said, you've got the fracture induced. Sometimes if I've just got, got one zone and to save money on materials and that sort of thing, you can actually just spot a pill and pressure up. Um, and so you'll read a lot of case histories where what somebody does is um, they spot the material, for example, below the casing shoe is the weakest sand. So they go ahead and they've got that one zone they know about. They spot the material. They, they, they actually sometimes will do a fit first and see, or see if it holds up or even, a, well, they'll do a leak off even. And then um, pressure up and this material is supposed to go into those fractures and then pressure up again and show, aha, I got considerably more strength than I had before. Um, so it, it's uh, something that you can demonstrate um, and you can either intentionally just pressure up on the pumps or 
rely on your ECD depending on how much you think you need. And one factor to consider is cementing, right? Because it may be all well and good on the drilling side, but I may need another half a pound of ECD to get cement to surface. Mm -hmm. And so you may take it a step further there. Gotcha. So with regards, like how do, if you were to properly plan and and execute a wellbore strengthening program, uh, there's a series of of, uh, information and inputs that a mud company like us that we can actually do that we would need to, in order to design something specific, right? So what would some of the, I guess, inputs be that we would require to make something? So when we want to kind of estimate what we expect our, our uh, fracture width to be, depending on our expected ECD or, or where we want to get to, we need to have some idea of what the fracture width, width is going to be through modeling. And so we'll ask for properties of the rock. These are usually some of the more tricky things to get. Thankfully, um, at least in unconventionals, everybody's fracking a lot of this rock later, so they kind of know how strong it is. Right. But you'll ask for things like um, Young's modulus, horizontal minimum stress. We've got a we've got a sheet that you fill out, and and more or less the the Alberti uh, paper has these equations, um, and it helps you calculate. Okay, this fracture is going to be seven hundred fifty microns. Right. Um, and then from there, we can do the modeling of what kind of material we need that will seal seven hundred fifty microns. Gotcha. And then we can go from there and move to the lab and do a little bit of testing to kind of button things up. Very cool. Well, let's move on to the, the more specifics in terms of what uh, goes into a wellbore strengthening program. And, I, you know, you hear a lot of times on a rig, uh, you know, we're losing returns. And, and then next thing you know, it's, well, let's throw some LCM and let's get a good, you know, wellbore strengthening program. And then you're throwing typical LCM in there and people are calling it wellbore strengthening. But, you know, what 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 would be the right uh, uh chemicals or the right products that would be classified as wellbore strengthening products? So they're predominantly granular materials. They're predominantly resilient, obviously have some sort of crush resistance so that when they get in these fractures, they're actually supporting the formation. Um, But it's, you know, they they can tend to be quite large just because we anticipate these fractures to be fairly large. But um, the idea is that they'll have a whole blend of, of things because You'll start out with some larger particles that are supposed to kind of lay down a bed, and then smaller particles should come in between and fill the intergranular spaces to provide a seal. So you can't just have one size fits all distribution. You want a little bit, a little bit of a spread. I think where folks get into trouble is they'll do they'll say, "Well, we're doing well, we're strengthening," like you said, and we 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 pumped a bunch of cedar fiber, and it's well, cedar fiber doesn't have any of those properties, and pretty much a lot of uh, a lot of flake materials, a lot of fibrous materials don't really provide any structural support. So it's, you know, on the granular side, uh, graphite's very popular, nutshells and uh, that kind of thing are very popular. Uh, calcium carbonate, there's a little bit of a knock just in that it um, shear degrades pretty readily if you keep it in the circulating system. Um, so, you know, a lot of folks insist on ground marble if they're going to go that direction. Um, you know, it it certainly matters if you're going to try and keep it in the system or if you're going to spot it. It you know, it obviously matters less how well it holds up. Um, so th- those are kind of the the calcarb, the graphite, and the nutshells are kind of the the first few favorites that come up immediately. So obviously, something that has and like you said, like high compressive strength to where it can withstand a lot of pressure and not just completely shatter and break down. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 
So Matt, let, you mentioned a little bit about lab testing to button things up. Let, let's talk a little bit about that. So how, what would we do in a lab, uh, you know, as a pre-planning to making a uh, what we're strengthening program? So if we think we know, we've, we've done the modeling, we have a pretty good idea of what fracture size we're attempting to seal, we'll actually do one of those basic is, is a slot test, which is basically on your fluid loss instead of a piece of paper or a ceramic disc. Uh, it's actually a, a metal disc and it has a slot of that size, be it 750 microns or 1500. And so we'll pressure up on that. Um, and we'll, what you want to see is you'll see some initial fluid loss, but you want it to lock, basically lock up on that fracture very quickly um, and hold pressure. So um, that's a, a pretty basic test, something that's widely available. There are other testers. They get progressively more expensive and elaborate. It's kind of like lubricants. Like you, you can make the testers as expensive as possible, but it reduces the number of iterations you can actually run. Um, and so we've, we've used a few other kind of fancy ones. Um, mainly just to show that that material is going to stay in that induced fracture um, and try and create a little bit more lifelike conditions. But in a, in a basic program, we feel like we know what we're doing. A slot test is a good exhibit to show, okay, we've got the right distribution here to, to seal things up. Gotcha. So other than the slot testing, is there anything else that we would do as a mud company to ensure the proper uh, programs in place? Or is that pretty much once you narrow down, once you get the information from the operator, you do your slot testing maybe with, you know, different series of, of, uh, of uh, microns to sort of identify, you know, where your limiter is. But aside from that, I mean, that's basically it, right? You want to make sure you can, it can get in there, it can seal up, it can hold pressure. I mean, and, and after that, we're ready to get to the field? In a, in a very basic case, yes. You know, like I said, we, we can make it as complicated as we want to, and we can do a little bit more. Um, those typically have to do, be some pretty in-depth studies. And quite honestly, in the unconventional realm, I'm lucky to get those those basic uh, rock properties even to to get things going. So we do some pretty that we do some pretty basic stuff. And if we had somebody who asked for more, we know how to follow up. But um, fundamentally, we know we can we know we we could cover that fracture. Uh, let's you know let's keep going and and um, you know the execution phase becomes the really important part. Is do I even give this a chance to succeed? Sure, sure. Well, well let's talk about rig execution. I mean, uh, we got the program in place. Everyone signs off on it. Let's give it a shot. Um, what does that look like on the the rig execution side of things? Well, it it depends on which way you're going. But for example, you, if you keep background material in. Um, it can be pretty intensive, and so I think some rig crews kind of want to balk at that. Even you know the the company representatives or you know okay, so the office has some other harebrained idea. Um, and this is where we find that when it sometimes it doesn't work, and it's well, you didn't really give it a chance to succeed. Um, and so if you're going to spend this much money, let's at least try and get a win, and then and then you can tell me it was too expensive. Um, here we kind of spent the money and we never gave it a chance as an experiment. So, um, you know, a lot of that is driven by with continuous circulating systems. I mean, people are shocked to hear this, but like offshore, sometimes they would bypass the shakers entirely to drill through these sections. And really the distinction is if you have one zone, you know about, you can drill past it, you can spot a pill and squeeze it. If you've got multiple zones that are fairly weak and you know about them, you're probably going to want to just keep background material in and, and use your ECD to provide your well strengthening. And then you want to keep that background material. And some of this stuff is 500, 1,000 microns. It's big stuff. 
So no shaker screen is going to separate it out. Um, so that's probably the first one that everybody says, okay, give me a break. Um, and, and understandably so. And then I think, um, you know, even, even on the spotting side, I think it's, um, the challenge of, okay, are we going to do this on the drilling BHA? Do we have a, you know, a bypass sub or something or, um, you know, have, have we made sure everything is there? Everybody's on the same page that all the material got in. Yes. It was a lot of sacks. Yes. It was big material. We knew, um, and catching samples, maybe even running some sieve tests, just saying, okay, we're, where were we thought we needed to be? And, um, let's, let's move forward and, and see that this works. Right. So what would be, um, and I know it varies depending on what you're trying to, you know, strengthen, but does wellbore strengthening range anywhere from say five pounds per barrel up to 30, or is there kind of a typical concentration that you would see? I mean, opinions vary. I think, you know, for pills, you're going to see much higher than right. background, of course. Uh, you know, I, I, a lot of people I talk to say, you know, at least 15. Most people that I talk to seem more convinced you're looking at like 30 to 50. Oh, wow. Um, of pretty high concentrations. Even in background? Even in background. Okay. Um, and most of the time, even if you suggest that, you're not going to get it. Right. Um, Especially and, if you've got directional tools in the hole mm-hmm. or any type of motor, which you nowadays you do. Right. So I would say that practically speaking, we're looking at more like the 15, 10 to 15. And that, I mean, I think that's probably going to be just fine. Uh, we're, we're a lot of the 30 to 50, you know, that number actually comes from a bridging theory called Abrams rule from the seventies, um, guided a study basically, uh, found that you needed 30 to 50% by volume or, or not, I uh, forgive me. I said that wrong three to 5% by volume of material to actually perform, to generate a ceiling bridge. And so that's kind of always been something that has taken away. This is the same guy who came up with the one-thirds bridging rule, if you ever heard of that. Um, so it was a pretty, pretty comprehensive study, and, and um, most people still stick to that, and that's where you get these bigger numbers, is trying to get that volume up. The only thing is that doesn't necessarily look at, well, I've already got solids in the mud, right? So I've still got some volume there. Granted, it's going to be smaller, but... I mentioned we need a smaller spectrum. So if I get my big stuff in there and that's the 15 pounds, uh, we've seen this work. Um, so, it, you know, it, it's expensive. It, it, it takes commitment, but hopefully the argument is that um, it's a commitment worth doing if I can get that much higher on my fracture gradient. Of course, because, I mean, ultimately, if you can drill deeper and not have to set pipe or you can get through, you know, a, a zone that normally you couldn't get through i mean the days that you're saving and the extended you know depth of which you can drill you're saving money on the back end but a lot of times at the rig site you don't typically see that you're not really seeing the macro level of the operation but but certainly uh it has a great application when needed and um the only question i had and this is someone uh, someone had asked me this the other day is like you know you're drilling away you've obviously got cuttings coming up the hole how much do cuttings actually strengthen the wellbore because obviously you're drilling you know rock and everything that has a high compressive strength or i would think it does but do, do cuttings actually ever end up being wellbore strengthening yes um you know and and i think uh uh th- this is entirely the case um in a number of uh um in, in a number of scenarios where that material is obviously packed in with everything else um 
some of it, you know, cuttings can be pretty big. So, it, uh, but um, if you ever heard of, uh, you know, when you're with casing drilling, uh, they claim all the time, Grant, you're drilling with this huge pipe and they're still, they claim to get, you know, two pounds or more on their fracture gradient just because I believe they call it smearing, uh, a smearing effect where the casing is rotating and basically grinding up all that material and pressing it into any fractures you induce. Um, so we know that for sure it can do it. Um, so yeah, a good question on that. So one final thought, Matt, and one question that I've been, that's kind of on the tip of my tongue is, does this stuff actually work? And I mean, are, are, when people are doing it, is it worth it? Well, I mean, we can qualify that. Obviously, in deep water, I think it's pretty well published that folks do this a fair amount. They're very committed to it, and they find success. I think when we get to lower-cost environments on land, um, a lot of people say, well, what do I get? And I think the future will tell us more than the present. And by that, I mean, we have all these really awkward pressure regimes because everybody keeps injecting all this water and we take flows, and then we need more mud weight to keep back the flow, and the formation can't support it. And so I think that we will find ourselves in wellbore strengthening scenarios more and more often, um, because as we've been getting away from, you know, a second intermediate, because we can drill the salt and the cherry brushy together, for example, in the Delaware Basin, uh, we'll find that we actually need more casing now to hold the mud weights we'll be fighting with. And wellbore strengthening might be a really good application. But, you know, we've we've done it out in, uh, you know, out in West Texas or out in the Permian. And um, we've had scenarios where, yeah, we've made a mess and we got a higher, um, higher uh, equivalent mud weight than we were expecting. And it worked. Um, the problem is most everybody expects you to bat a thousand if you're going to do it. And um, if it doesn't work every time, then, you know, get out of my office. Um, and so there's still enough uncertainty that I, th I think we could stand to prove ourselves, but it works. Um, the, I think the biggest thing we have going against us, I mean, it can be, it can be challenging, but I think one of the things that really sets us back sometimes is when we don't execute properly. Um, and someone says, well, we did that. We tried that before it was a waste of money. Um, and I, and you kind of have to slow down and say, okay, well, let, let's talk more about what you perceive well, we're strengthening to be. And let's make sure that our techniques are the same because I find that they tend to be drastically different uh, yes. depending on who you talk to. No kidding. And to me, there's no such thing as a poor boy, well, well bore strengthening program. You're either all in and committed or you figure out something else, maybe with lost circulation material. But like you said, understanding what it is and properly planning and executing, I think, is where the value add. And like you said, especially with how much, you know, the depleted zones and different pressure regimes and how things are getting broken down. I mean, I think that's something that's going to evolve. And uh, yeah, if anyone out there has any good stories or any more questions, uh, that's it for me today, Matt. So unless you got any closing last words. No, um, I, I hope this helps clear the air. And um, if not, incite some really passionate arguments on the internet. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see where it goes. Exactly. Well, everyone, appreciate the support. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you have any questions, hit us up at flowlinepodcast at aesfluids.com. That's it for now. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. 
The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.